0: This is your host, Adam Settle, of the No Day Wasted Podcast, where we interview God's workers across the globe. Welcome to the No Day Wasted Time Vines Podcast. This is your host, Adam Settle. And this month, we have Tim Cox from The Great Samaritan. Welcome, Tim.
1: Thank you, Adam. It's good to be here.
0: Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes. Um, Well, I was a law enforcement professional for 28 years. Uh, during that time, had a lot of training, saw a lot of different things, um, and uh, partway through my career, I was able to see what some organizations were doing to fight human trafficking and injustices around the world, and that kind of got my attention, you know, uh, in about
0: 2014. Oh, wow. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your organization?
1: Yeah. So in uh, 2014, 2015, I got, a, I got to travel with another organization to Pakistan, and we did some work there. For the next several years, I traveled with that organization and some other ones doing some justice work. And then in two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, um, my wife and I started the Great Samaritan to do counter-human trafficking work and other justice work around the world in the way that we thought suited us, was ethical, was, you know, you know I guess our style maybe. So, yeah, we got started a couple of years ago doing the work.
0: Sweet. One of the questions I have is, uh, when you started The Grey Samaritan, how did you all come up with the name The Grey Samaritan?
1: Good question. Um, So there's a thing in the undercover spy world, if you will, um, where people are trying to work and do things without being noticed. There's the concept of the grey man. The grey man is a person who can come and go. Um, He's not remarkable When he does his work, the way that he dresses, talks, maybe the story that he tells makes him kind of blend in or invisible. Mm -hmm. And then the Samaritan, again, is the good Samaritan story um, where he does great things, even for his enemy at the time, for no reason other than that he was loving his neighbor as himself. And so I combined those two things. We... As an organization, try to go and do good work around the world without a lot of fanfare, without being noticed. And so we put those two things together to grasp, uh, grasp the concept of what we're doing.
0: Sweet. How did you all get involved with tying vines?
1: When Lynn and I got started, we thought about becoming a 501c3. Uh, I have other friends who have those who have started them, and I'm not very good or happy to do admin, and, uh, I was told that having a 501c3 required some diligent, consistent, administrative gymnastics, at least that's what I think they are. For sure. And, uh, so we actually talked to our neighbor and she said, well, you know, uh, the Kennys have tying vines and they, they have different projects under them. Maybe they would take you on. We're like, so we did, we called them, talked to Mary and Jeff and, um, They're like yeah and so and we've been thrilled they have been fantastic um time vines has they've taken care of us in like a zillion ways i couldn't even count them all so that's that's how we got started they were in texas at the time when we talked to them and it's it's been a great relationship
0: wow um yes they are great people and their ministry what they're uh, doing is great And also, do you have any stories from your last trip?
1: Yeah, my last trip was actually pretty unique. So I was down in the Caribbean. I won't name the country, but I was down in the Caribbean to uh, come alongside another work that existed down there to help them to see what they need. And so uh, the first night that I was there actually was involved in some undercover operations to find out whether some young ladies down there were being trafficked, or if they were prostitutes, mm-hmm. and uh, so we we set up the meeting, spoke to them, did some had some conversations about price and availability as that conversation goes, and actually discovered that they were being trafficked, mm-hmm. that um, they weren't necessarily in charge of their own lives, and so that was uh, one aspect of that that mission and that trip. Interesting for me is. I don't know the language. So a lot of what's going on around me is literally a foreign language to me. So, you know, I'm kind of trusting in my friends there to take care of what's going on. We did we did actually did a couple other things, but yeah, we actually talked to some girls from another country who were being trafficked, who were trying to survive and stay alive. And so we record that information and pass it on to the authorities and try to do things from there that uh, will help them out.
0: Sweet. How do you prepare for these trips?
1: Uh, each trip is unique, and so preparation for each one can be different. There have been trips that I've taken to Africa where I, I actually I have a big bin of gear at home, and some of it's some of it's bulletproof vests, some of it's knives and sticks, and some of it's handcuffs and all kinds of stuff. And so what happens is. In my mind i try to picture what the mission is going to look like what my responsibilities are going to be and then i start almost like a dog circling before he lays down that's what i look like around my gear i kind of circle it around and and pick the things that i think okay i need that i don't need that and then i i get it all hauled up to my luggage and then i start packing and all that kind of stuff and i'm making sure that i have Airfare and passports and yeah. all of the stuff that goes to travel and so, visas and yeah it's pretty yep yeah, true exactly right <laughs> so that's pretty typical and each country will get its I'll circle it wow I'll circle my gear bin differently each time
0: how do you prepare yourself before going on any of these trips
1: yeah that's another great question so you know I grew up interestingly enough. I grew up on a dirt road in Pennsylvania. Like I grew up so far out there that you couldn't get back. And I never, I never had any concept that I would travel. To me, one time I went to Ohio and I thought that was a big trip. I I kid you not, man, you can't even make that up. So one time I was standing on the Benin-Nigerian border in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And I'm like, how in the world... Did this Meadville kid get to here? <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, I don't know, man. Prep. So, I was not a world famous traveler, mm-hmm. and now I'm just a world traveler, still not now famous. Exactly. <laughs> like, but you're uh, just a world traveler. But when I get ready, so I haven't always liked to travel. It's not my favorite thing to jump on a plane. I'm not going to Paris to see the Eiffel Tower. I've not been to any of those places. Every place I go to. It's a little rough, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. It's not, there's not a lot of money and affluence where I go. They don't need me there. So when I go, there's a lot of talk with the family. There's a lot of prayer time. There's a lot of conversations with my teammates. And a lot of it's just coordinating itineraries and um, needs, making sure the family's square before I go. That's pretty, that, again, that's pretty typical, regardless of where I'm going
0: about how many victims have you saved and seen come out of human trafficking
1: so just like my other answers each country looks different when i first got started going with a different organization to pakistan the law of the land there is actually debt bondage um so that story is let's say adam you're a slave owner and you loan me 20 bucks because i got a I don't know, I gotta fix a car tire, I don't know. And then that 20 bucks has about 5,000% interest. And I I actually can never pay it back. And so for 20 bucks, some of these people have been enslaved for years and years and years. They have families, their families are enslaved for years. And they, ne- they never get out, okay? There's no paying that $20 back no. because you turned that $20 into a bottomless pit. When I get to these slave fields, I gotta buy food. Of course I can never, it's the old company store story. So in that country, I went for twenty in 2014 and 2015, and we were able to effect the release or rescue of probably four or 500 people. Wow. That's men, women, children, as many orphans as we could get. If somebody was hurt or lame, we would try to get them out. And so that's a big number, right? That's, that's a big number. Uh, I, mean, I remember on one trip, uh, we rescued these kids and families. We brought them back in a van, and it might have been a 15-passenger van. Okay, it looked like a Scooby-Doo van to me. <laughs> if you know Scooby-Doo, it looked just like the Mystery Mobile. And when we started getting people off and counting them, I'm pretty sure the number was 51. 51 wow. people squeezed onto that thing to get to freedom. Wow. And after that, they would get, they would get some food and some, all the hydration they needed, and then they would be able to go and live in a different place and be afforded the ability to never go back. So mm-hmm. that's a big number. Mm-hmm. In other yes. countries, we partner with an organization that probably rescues, I don't know, 300 kids a year at, a, at an African border station. And so I'm not doing that directly, but I've trained them, I've supported them, um, I've been there with them to do the work. So, in some sense, I'm a part of I'm a part of that um, that work as well. Yeah. I coordinate and travel with and for another organization called Lantern Rescue, a fantastic organization down in North Carolina, and they also, you know because of the support that I receive, I'm able to travel with them at a greatly reduced cost. Um, they're always helping out with different things. But so when I go with them, they also have organizations and uh, in other countries that they support. So in a really cool way, there's a network of people working together to fight this problem, which in my opinion is really the only way that we're going to make any progress or headway with it is that I would call them mom and pops, right? There's Lynn and I, but then there's there's Lantern and his partner down there getting started. And I have another friend who's getting started. So, and we work together. We all know each other. We're trying to work together. And I, th- I think it's fantastic. So, the actual number, I'm not sure. I really, you know, to be honest, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that everyone that is rescued is pretty doggone happy.
0: Oh, I'm sure. As I was thinking, that story that you were telling me about, The one guy that you know, his sister ended up dying from a broken heart. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yes. I'm going to tell the story two ways, Uh, the broken heart side of it. Um, And then I want to, I've talked about this story before, but I think it's significant in that it's the power of what one person can do when they're committed to the right things. So this story does take place in Western Africa and the man, I'll call him Frank. We'll just name him Frank, okay? We'll call okay. him Frank for the story. Yeah. So Frank's sister had three of her daughters trafficked. Mm. And she never saw them again. Uh, the stress of that, not knowing where they went, what happened, actually caused her to have a stroke, and that stroke killed her. Wow. Frank saw that and was obviously disgusted by it and moved by it and said, somebody has to do something. Which to me is the start of all of these organizations that we talk about, even yours, right? Even what you're Mm -hmm. doing now. You're like, somebody's got to tell a story, right? Exactly. So it moves you to action. So Frank um, started going to this border and said, I'm going to do something. Uh, He got there and the police at that area said, you can't do this. Um, Nobody's done this. You can't do this. And Frank's like, oh, I'm doing it. And so back and forth they went for a good big four months. As I've been told, for four months they would arrest him and kick him out of his place. He's like, no. Nope. So at the end of four months, they said, clearly Frank is not going to stop doing the right thing. And so then they said, okay, Frank, you're the only one that's allowed to do it. So you went from nobody does it to, and now Frank has authority to do that kind of work in his entire country. Well, um, I get reports all the time of the kids that he has rescued, people that he's arrested and have been prosecuted. Um, justice there seems to be quite swift. He arrested a guy who had kidnapped a girl and two weeks later he was actually sentenced and in jail. So and he has a team there and all because he was going to do the right thing regardless of what it cost him. Very great story.
0: Well, wow. How can we help support?
1: Most, most everybody, I actually thought about this walking in Most everybody in the position that I'm in needs financial support. I've told other people I'm kind of like a tactical missionary. That's kind of asymmetrical in this field. You have a lot of people planting churches, and really rightfully so. To me, that is the answer. The gospel Mm -hmm. um, and planted churches is the answer to all of this, and it's God's way. Mm -hmm. But I'm not that guy, at least not at this point. I'm not Mm -hmm. a church planter. Through my career... And lifestyle, God has given me other skills, Mm -hmm. other things that I can use to combat this. So, but it always takes, it always takes money. For sure. One of the things that stresses me out, I mean, right. You had a fundraiser, right? I was at your Uh, fundraiser. Oh, yeah. The the gear you have here, your travel, none of that stuff's free. And there are people who can't go and do what I do, but they do care. Mm -hmm. And so, I really try to look at it as though I'm partnering with people and giving them an opportunity to affect justice in the Caribbean in Africa and South America and in, in Asia, wherever we go, Right. Um, they have a chance to be a part of that. So, and then the other thing, there's two more things. One of them is, so I go to churches and preach. Um, I'll go to businesses and talk and present what we do. But one of the things that Lynn has come up with, and I think it's, probably probably the best idea is let's say that you are interested adam in supporting me and i would say listen adam this is what i would like you to do i would like you to get five couples that are interested in what we're doing and i will come we'll have hors d'oeuvres or something like that we'll come we'll show a little vid and then we'll talk and we'll answer questions and we'll explain what we're doing and then people have the option so I'm not sitting there begging yeah. and asking for money. I'm just presenting what we do, mm-hmm. and they can decide whether or not they're in. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, in in 2022 that's going to be one of our big initiatives. And then finally, of course, and is is the prayer. We have tried to organize prayer cells. We call them in different places that we've been, so that a group of people are covering these days. We've we have a prayer calendar um, where people can actually pick a day. I'm actually still trying to tackle an organized way in which people can have a reminder, physically see it and say, okay, today we're praying for TGS. So there's, there's the ways that we can receive support.
0: Wow. How can people be uh, praying for you?
1: There's lots of ways. There's the work itself. There's the people that they can pray for that they don't even know. Now, that's hard, right? That's hard to pray for Bob when you don't know Bob. Right. Right. But nonetheless, God knows. God knows what He's doing. So there is that. Specifically, there is the, again, so when we started this organization, I'm not, I, I grew up in government work. A lot of people telling me what to do. I got the mission and I did it. To start your own organization, to do some of this work, you're trying to figure out what the next step is. Today, am I supposed to be doing push-ups or sit-ups or am I, am I supposed to call this guy? You don't want to be pushy with people. So I just need prayer for how to develop a class organization that is full of integrity and impact.
0: Well, alrighty. thanks for uh, coming on today, and we're excited to air this one thanks, in January.
1: Man. So let me ask you a question before we go. Do you like it? Do you like what you're doing? Is it is it what you thought? <laughs>
0: It's actually more than I thought, so I'm really excited.
1: 100%. That's great. I'm glad for you.
0: Thank you, everyone, for being on the podcast and listening today.